This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What do you make of the speculation that Mark Davis reportedly, maybe, would like to bring Gruden back to coach his team again? (laughs) I'm a big fan of John, but I think John has to go somewhere else. I think this situation has to have a little bit of what Antonio brings. If it's John's time, and hopefully it will be, it will be with a different football team. Yo, what's cracking? How is everybody living? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, and welcome to episode number 292, where this week, my guest is an outstanding former NFL cornerback. He played 14 seasons in the league. He was a six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro. He's a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame and 75th anniversary teams. He is none other than former Eagle, Saint, and Raider Eric Allen. Anybody who was around for EA's career remembers EA's career. The dude was a legend on the corner. I would argue a deserving Hall of Famer as well, and we will get into that. He's also a damn good broadcaster, currently serving on the Raiders radio team, and co-host for their live game day and press conference shows. If you can't tell, I am pumped to catch up with my guys. So, let's get right into the conversation. It is episode 292 with former NFL All-Pro corner Eric Allen, and it's coming at you right this second. Eric Troy, dude, I've done this long enough that I take nothing for granted. I always love talking to you when you were a dominant player back in your playing days, and it's always good to chop it up with you in your post-playing days. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great, Jim, man. Uh, it's always a great uh, opportunity and chance to speak with you, man. Uh, going back way, way long ago when we were both just kind of getting started into business, but uh, things have been well. As you know, I'm working with the Raiders. Uh, for the last four years uh, right now, obviously just kind of wading through the, the coaching situation storm uh, and, and just trying to figure out uh, what this football team is going to be like at the end of the year. All right, so I'm going to ask you about that. And I appreciate, Eric, you starting off by saying that you and I did kind of come up together and we go way right. back. That means that means a lot to me, man. I really I remember those formative years, and it really <laughs> does mean the world to me. I want to ask you this. First of all, congrats on an order on being named to the list of 25 modern-era semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2024. Congrats on that. Given how impactful, though, your career was, Eric, I think there are a lot of people listening who might be surprised to find out that you're not already in the Hall of Fame. So I'm curious, how have you approached this process over the years? Well, I hadn't really, this is the first year, Jim, that I've kind of the promotion and kind of figure out like when the voting starts, uh, what are the steps we need to get myself to the 15. So then I can have someone go in and speak on my behalf, but you are right. Lots of folks that I run into automatically assumed that I was already in years ago. I think the thing with me was when we were playing, it was a certain number you were supposed to hit, right? So 
when you start talking about, you know, getting over 50 interceptions, everybody who played cornerback who had 50 interceptions, you know, that was kind of the, the home run thing as far as like the 500 home runs, whatever it is. So you just think that number. Uh, and so as soon as I finished playing, it was like, I have 54, I'll be okay, but I'm moving on to the next phase of my life. So I went right to ESPN and worked there for 15 years. So I really never took the time to, you know, kind of promote myself, which I'm doing now. You know, Eric, it's interesting because you hit that number. I mean, that was supposed to be the number and you hit that number and you went beyond that number and you've got more picks than a lot of guys who were already in who played the position. So I'm curious, have you gotten any feedback from any of the voters or anybody close to the selection process as to why you're not wearing one of those gold jackets yet? Yeah, I think, Jim, the first thing people talk about is the lack of a Super Bowl ring. And that's a it's a team award, and we understand that you win and lose the team. But there is significance, obviously, you know, behind being part of a defense and you're able to be the last team standing. And I think that's a, a, a huge uh, feather in multiple cornerbacks who are in uh, who may not have the numbers I've had or even some corners started corner, play for eight or nine years and then have to transition to safety. And those guys may have gotten their rings as a safety in the National Football League, where I always kind of value playing cornerback and being specific and having the longevity and the success to be able to play at that position for an extended period of time. And once more, I just assumed that playing that position for 14 years, starting every year, having those numbers, the beginning of my career, the middle, and in the end, were able to kind of supersede maybe not having the Super Bowl, but obviously – the Super Bowl uh, holds just a, a, an enormous uh, weight and effect on what the voters see as being, you know, a no-brainer. Right. So, you know, you talk about being available, Eric. For instance, availability is your best ability. You learn that from day one. And you played yeah. in 217 games out of a possible 224 during your career. You missed only one game in your seven years with the Eagles. I'm not saying that durability alone is going to get you to Canton, but how much pride do you take in knowing that you did whatever it took to be out there fighting alongside your brothers, even if you weren't close to 100% physically some of that time or a lot of that time? Jim, that's the key. You know, when, when even in, in, in your line of work and what I do now, you know, you can have a cold, the throat's kind of messed up a little bit and you just find a way to get it done. And I never thought that a Nick here or there uh, would prevent me from being able to give what my team needed. So what I had to do is find out a way to maybe change the way I play. And I think after I had a really bad high ankle injury late in the career, late my uh, season in like, 89 or something like that. And at that point, I knew I wasn't going to be able to just flat out run the 4 3 40 that I was able to run. So I had to kind of look at film that week and find out different ways for me to be successful in the football field. And at that moment, Jim, that really changed the way I played from then on because then it was about not always having to use your athletic ability. It was about understanding the game and processing the information. 
And if I could play this guy and play him off at seven or eight yards and kind of understand what routes he ran, I wouldn't have to use my athleticism. I can kind of use the game and the situation to determine where the ball was going to be at the end of the play. And if I can figure out where the ball is at the end of the play, that's all I needed, you know, and then I can make plays on the ball. So that was one of those moments, Jim, where you have to be versatile. You have to adapt to your environment. And I think over the course of my career, that was really what it was, is being able to adapt to the personnel, adapt to your situation, adapt week in and week out, play in and play out. And those are the things that uh, helped me stay relevant and stay on the corner for those 14 years. All right, so I love that. First of all, life on the island in the NFL is unlike any other position. I want to talk to you about a very good friend of mine, Brian Johnson. This cat is a legend. 50% philosopher, 50% CEO, and 100% the author of what I consider to be one of the best books I have ever read. And it dropped recently. It's called Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. If you ask the ancient Stoic philosophers how to live a good life, they would answer the question with a single word, Arate. Arate can be translated as virtue or excellence, but the word has a much deeper meaning than all that. It means bring your best self moment to moment to moment. My dude Brian lays it all out in this new book, Arate. It's a book that he spent years, literally decades, writing. It contains 451 life-changing ideas. I absolutely urge you to get this book. Get it right now. It's exactly what you need if you're looking to jumpstart and or transform your life. Here's what you do. Go to heroic.us slash Rome. Again, heroic, H-E-R-O-I-C dot us slash rome heroic dot us slash rome it is without question one of the best books i've ever read and i know that i will go back to it over and over again that's heroic dot us slash rome get your copy and by the way it makes an amazing holiday gift give the gift of transformation in fact, before I say what I was about to say, what about that, Eric? What is it like being on the island in the NFL and being on that <laughs> island for as long as you were? How would you describe that to somebody listening that doesn't know? Yeah, it, it's like a torrential rainstorm. And you're having to avoid the puddles, the river, uh, all those deep spots. And it's more difficult if you haven't been through that storm before. What you want to do is find a way to understand what the storm is about and how and try and predict and anticipate where the storm is going. The more information that you can retain and process in a quick manner of time, the better cornerback you're going to be. So week one, if I'm playing the 49ers and it's week one, what I'm going to have to do is go back to the last season, the last time that I played Jerry or the last time that the 49ers were in a really big game. And I'm going to track those first 15 plays. And as those 15 plays are coming, Jerry's going to have about three or four of those plays. And it's going to be the out. It's going to be a slant. It may be the Dino, which is a kind of a double pulse. 
And so now I have to kind of chart those things. Remember the formations. It's, it, it is a position where your athleticism has to be on point, but more importantly, the mental aspect and being able to process the information quickly gives you an opportunity to be successful. I mean, you can't always rely on, you know, your athleticism and your strength. Once again, I go back to, it has to be a combination of all those things, but more importantly, if you're on the corner, the processing, the information, formation, situation, alignment, strength and weaknesses, that has to go through your mind every single play, Jim, every single play. If you miss one of those, those are the times you're giving up big plays. That's all it takes is one misplay, right? <laughs> one one yeah. mistake mentally, letting down one play. What about Eric? What about Jerry? You mentioned Jerry, Jerry Rice. Ever go yeah. up against a better wide receiver, top to bottom, than Jerry Rice? What were those Sundays like? Yeah, uh, covered Jerry many times. And, uh, Jim, in the offseason, uh, I had a really good coach. His name was Peter, Peter Genta, and he was an offensive guy before he got to the league. And he was about the West Coast offense when he was in college. So in the summers, in the offseason, me and him, we would kind of break down the West Coast offense and I would be Jerry Rice. So all the routes that Jerry ran in in his previous years, I would run all those routes in the summer. So I kind of knew exactly, okay, he takes three steps and he runs a slant. Uh, He never looks at the corner before uh, before the snap of the ball. He always looks in towards the ball so he can get off on the ball very fast. So I said, okay, maybe early in the game, I can quit jamming because he's not paying attention to me to get him off this game. So Jerry made you do those things. He made you study him in the off season, the whole summers about working out and the heels that he ran. I had to mimic those things because the one thing that Jerry did was every single play he was at 100%. It doesn't matter if it's a run or a pass. To this day, and I faced numerous Hall of Fame guys from uh, Jerry and Michael Irvin uh, to Randy Moss. No one got off the ball on every snap he was in like Jerry Rice. So you had to be prepared. There was no way you were going to you know, look in at the quarterback and peek in and kind of backing up and being cool with Jerry. He'd run right by you even when he runs just a four five forty, But Jerry was the ultimate. Whenever uh, we were on the field together, you had to be on your game. Yeah, that's such amazing analysis, Eric. I want to say, before, before we leave this topic, I want to say, because you and I came up at the same time, I remember when you were in your prime. I remember when you were active. I remember how dominant you were. I remember when you were one of the best, if not the best, at the game for a period of time. It's shocking to me that you're not in. I want to make that point clear. And to me, I still think it's a matter of when and not a question of if. But I would have thought it would have happened by now. I want to be very clear about that. You mentioned Michael Irvin. I mentioned Eric, like, and I want to talk about these days because back in the day when I got my first TV show, lots of the Eagles would come through. And I want to share my thoughts. But one of the first major interviews that I ever did as a young TV TV host was with Michael Irvin. I will never forget the day that <laughs> that guy walked in the studio, Eric. Like, I mean, I couldn't even believe the vibe that this guy was throwing off. I mean, you look at Michael now, and he's on TV and he's all about it. But man, is a player as a personality share with the listeners what this dude was like how physical he was as a wide receiver and the intensity he played with yeah uh i think the one thing that the one way we can describe mike is he loved 
I mean, he loved the game of football and he was not going to cheat his opportunity to perform on the football field. He wasn't, he wasn't going to let that day go without people watching and being on the field and saying that dude will do anything it takes to win a football game. If he had to block you for 15 yards, if he had to run a route over the middle in those days where safeties were head hunting, rib hunting, ankle hunting, you know, they were hunting on those receivers, Jim, back in those days. But for Mike, if it was to get a first down, it didn't matter. Throw him the ball. It didn't matter. Go to the huddle. Talk to Troy, who's a Hall of Famer. Say, you know what? Give me an opportunity. Give me a chance to run this out route on this guy, and I'm going to beat him. Trust me, the passion, the love that that guy played with, you can see it right now when you turn on television and see him animated on shows. That's the same type of energy, the same type of love he played for that game, and I have to respect him for that. And he's another one who made me better because of the passion and the effort he played with. You got to bring that same energy, Jim, or he's going to run you right off the field. Absolutely. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab instead a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper or Old Trapper Beef Jerky. It's tasty and tender. It's made from real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It goes wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way, you can see exactly what you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? And the thing I loved about Mike, Eric, he loved being Mike. He loved being Mike. I love that about him. And what you see on TV, man, that's who he is. That's who he's always been. That's not an act. That's not a guy looking for clicks or trying to go viral, man. That energy is real. So, Eric, when I started that show, for whatever reason, we had a really good relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And this was talk, too, that I would do. in the, the studio was on Hollywood and Vine in Hollywood. And guys right. would come through, right? And there were so many Eagles. I had never, Eric, I had never seen... <laughs> players who loved a head coach and were more loyal to their head coach than these Eagles were Buddy Ryan. It was incredible. I had never seen anything like it. And almost to this day, like you see a new generation of coaches right now that relate really well to players. But back then, man, it was kind of (laughs) like that Bill Parcells way, right? Like it was like my way of the highway. But now with Buddy, they loved him. Is that how it was for you? And what do you remember about playing for him? Yeah, that's a great shout out. And he's another you know, coach who may have rubbed people the wrong way. And that's maybe why he hasn't gotten consideration in getting the Hall of Fame uh, because the defensive mentality and the mindset that he had changed the game of football. We talk a lot about defense. And even though we're in 2023, we still mention the 85 Bears. We still mention the 91 Eagles that finished number one across the board in all categories. And that is because of Buddy Ryan. And the reason why we enjoyed and loved Buddy so much is, one, he really took time to evaluate defensive players. So if you were a guy on his team, you knew he, he thought of you as a tough, smart football player. And then he gave us and, – and this is, this is the one thing that sets him apart. We used to have these defenses that they were called automatic – front and coverage for for zone types of defense and then blitz the formation. And so there was just a hand signal, Jim, from the sideline. And it was blitz the formation. 
So every player had to know the formation of the offense. It wasn't a play that was called from the sideline. It's something we had practiced all week, and we were going to run the blitz that was the best to suit that formation that the offense was in. So all 11 guys, Jim, had to be on the same play page for every single play. Hmm. So you have to be bought in totally for that to happen. It can't be a, I'm going to show up on Wednesday and be in depth, and then Friday be out of the club, come to practice, and know what we're doing. No, it has to be a total buy-in. And so you have the total buy-in. You have Buddy drafting you having sat down with you, talked you through the process of why he wanted you on his football team, which you can add. So it just, it, it was a, a, a tremendous experience as a young player to be thought of that, hey, I can be a part of this legendary type of defense that the defense assignments is all on you. It's about your mental state. So we all love Buddy for that, for believing in us, giving us the opportunity to really advance that defensive type of philosophy and i'm not sure if they run a lot of that stuff today because you know the players today are kind of all over the place but back at that time man it really blended that defense together we all had to be on the same page on the football field which meant we're going to spend a lot of time off the football field together until this day with seth and clyde and some of my other teammates we're all still very close. All right, so Eric, that's that's interesting because I've asked that question of other Eagle players and nobody's ever answered it like that. That is really, really interesting. <laughs> I was going to say to you as a young guy, so like you feel like you're chosen, you're chosen by Buddy, and Buddy says, this is why I want you, and then you've got to fit in. But you mentioned some of the guys I was going to ask you about. You were a Hall of Fame caliber player, a great player, but as a young player, what was it like for you to walk in that locker room and see the likes of Reggie White, <laughs> Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, and Seth Joyner? Oh, oh man. Oh, man. I, I just – it was uh, like you wanted to have your – pencil or your pen and your notebook and get autographed that's kind of how you right. felt when you walked in you know you're you have buddy ryan as your head coach who's the you know, the great defensive coordinator wade phillips was our coordinator so wade goes back years and years uh jeff fisher was my defensive back coach those are just some of the coaches and then like you said player wise you know one of the best to ever do it reggie white just so humble uh so understanding of what was expected of him and he expected nothing less from everyone else. Uh, Jerome Brown was the life of the party. People talk so much about maybe at that time, the differences between the two, Reggie and Jerome, you know, one's, you know, hanging out in Miami and, and doing his thing. And then the other guys at church on Sunday, but they had so many similarities about how they were brought up and how they loved football and wanted to win. Clyde and Seth, were inseparable. They were two peas in a pod and they were both undraft or drafted late type of guys who buddy saw something special in them. And after a couple of years was able to kind of get that out of them. So they really believed that there's nothing they couldn't accomplish. Seth went on to do some incredible things. I mean, one of the most dynamic linebackers at that time, being able to rush the passer cover, uh, understand to be the middle of that defense uh, and then, you know, the person I think more responsible for my maturity was a guy named Ronell Young. Ronell was an old head when I got there. It was 
you know, year eight, he had played in the Super Bowl against the Raiders, like in 83, I believe. And he was from uh, HBCU, you know, historically black college. And he used to take us out, our young guys, on Thursday or Friday for camaraderie day. Just take us down to Philadelphia and just talk to us about what it is to be a pro and how you're supposed to, you know, maintain that, what you're supposed to do in the community. I mean, it was a family kind of experience. All those guys gave you different little tidbits on how to grow, how to be a better man, a husband. I mean, I had just an amazing upbringing in the National Football League with those great guys. And then you throw in, you know, Wes Hopkins and crazy Andre Waters, who have since passed now. But uh, Dre was my roommate for so many years. And year after year, Jim, he would get the dirtiest player in the league. I didn't know that he was from like Cheney State. And he's a special teams guy, but Buddy loved him because he would throw his body around. Uh, just, just amazing, amazing times back there in Philadelphia. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. God, Eric, amazing. Like, I can't get enough of it. I could ask you about every single guy you've ever played with. You mentioned, quote, crazy Andre Waters. For those who don't know or don't remember, what was he like to play with and what was he like yeah. as a player? My man was all um, over the place. Yeah, he was. We called him uh, Dirty Waters. And I tell you, before they uh, changed the rules of football, and I, you know what? I, I'm happy they changed them because you, you want to see your stars play. But if there was a quarterback running out of the out of uh, the pocket, I mean, if he saw twenty, he was getting down, Jim, because there was no Dre was going to light him up. It doesn't matter if you were trying to tightrope the sideline or maybe ten yards outside the sideline; right? he was still going to light you up. And he was like the that that piece on our defense that most people feared. Now they respected Jerome; they respected Red. But they feared Andre because Andre was the kind of guy, again, who was going to have no dis no regard for his body. He was going to throw it around. If he needed to throw his shoulder with his head in there, he was going to do that. And he was the guy who was the beginning of that fear factor of our defense. And everybody knew number 20 and where he was on each and every play. You know, Eric, not to date us or me, but you know who else was like that, man? Remember, Chuck Cecil used to be like that, right? Yeah. The way yeah, he, yeah. What, what do you right. remember about Chuck. the way he played? Yeah, man, Chuck. And Chuck is the defensive coordinator, I believe, at University of Arizona right now. Yep. And Chuck was a part of when Buddy left us and went to Arizona. So Chuck was a part of that Arizona culture because he Buddy brought – uh, Seth and Clyde and a couple other players to Arizona. And I believe Chuck was maybe on the tail end of that. So again, that was that safety who was going to be in the box, who was all about thumping. And in that time, you know, you had Ronnie Lott, who was just um, an amazing player and laying down the law. But those safeties, particularly the strong safeties at that time, Jim, 
they had to lay the wood. If you came across the middle, there was a price to pay, and those guys were taking receipts and, and charging you for coming across the middle. No, I mean, it was terrifying back then, Eric. I would imagine, like, <laughs> I, how would I know? But those guys, you're right. Th those safeties, you knew, man, you knew you were going to pay a price no matter what. You know, Eric, you talk, you've been working with the Raiders for the last few years, and we're talking a lot about culture and culture and what it's like. What about the Raider culture? Like, what is it now, or what could it be? Like, it, there's been so much chaos and upheaval, or whatever you want to say. Like, Antonio Pierce is 2-2 two and two since taking over, but what do you think that culture is? Is there an existing culture right now with the Raiders? Yes, there is. There is a, a culture, Jim, and that culture will always try to reach that level that this team has been. And a brief time in the late 90s, you know, ending with the Super Bowl loss in, here in San Diego, basically, that's the goal, to get the team back to there. There's still enough people in the organization who understand and remember those times. The difficulty has been, Jim, that our organization hasn't been able to get the coach, GM, quarterback correct we've had a quarterback who was up and down and and i'm a big fan of, of Derek carr and he you know laid his football career here with the raiders he started here and he was a a, a great ambassador but we can never get the gm coach and quarterback together right and i think that's really been the history the last you know, 20, 30 years of Raider football, trying to get that combination correct. Because when it is correct, this is a winning football team. And right away, the fan base is energized. Right away, those players are energized. There's no other team that is invested into its alumni like the Raiders. When we have our games in Vegas every week, Jim, you know, there's guys from the 80s who come by, the 90s, the 2000s. They're always welcome. They always have a voice. They always, you know, have a home wherever the Raiders are. The product on the football field has failed to live up to what the standard is. And I go back to trying to get that coach who's innovative, uh, who has a great understanding of what the brand is about. So it's a unique spot. And I think Antonio lately has hit some of those key areas where he's empowered the players, something that the Raider brand has always been about, allowing the players to have freedom to, to come into your coach's office and say, hey, uh, if I'm Josh Jacobs, hey, coach, I think these six or seven plays – really work for us. I'm going to bring our linemen in and we're going to talk through these things. And maybe it's better for us to maybe have a zone outside zone runs more than pin and pull. So Antonio has, has listened to those things. And although he hasn't done everything, he has really listened to those players, put some of those plays into the game plan. So now the players are more invested, but I just think at this point, Jim, we, the Raiders, have to find a way to get that combination correct and then provide that GM 
has to have players who are making plays, who are really good football players and guys we can kind of build around, like Max Crosby. Exactly. U.S. Cellular wants to help everybody get the gift of connection this holiday season. Already a customer? This applies to you, too, because right now, new and current customers can get any phone, and I mean any phone, for free. Yes, really free. Sounds like it's time to make the switch. Spread holiday cheer far and wide this season with a new phone. Everybody can get the gift of connection at U.S. Cellular. Get any phone free today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms apply. Visit U.S cellular.com for details you mentioned two guys they're unbelievable players so Eric before you go you played for the Raiders when Al Davis was there you work for the team right now so you know Mark Davis what do you make of the speculation that and you played for John Gruden by the way at the end of your career so you can speak to all this what do you make of the speculation that Mark Davis reportedly maybe would like to bring Gruden back to coach his team again could you see that happening (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of John. Uh, I, I tell you a, a little quick story. Please. When I was I was coming to uh, California, uh, just on a trip back home, I was with New Orleans. I had already told the Saints, hey, I'm not coming back here. This place is a, a joke. I'm finished. If you guys don't trade me, I'm going to retire. So I kind of forced the hand. And they had all these teams calling. And i like, no, I want to go to the 49ers. So I can play you guys twice a year and show you, you know, what a real football team is about. So I was all in my feelings, Jim. So uh, a great friend of mine and mentor, Willie Shaw, who David Shaw is his, his dad. He was my defensive back coach at Arizona State, recruited me from San Diego. He was now the team's the coordinator in Oakland in 98. So I fly home to San Diego thinking the next couple of days I'm going to be flying to San Francisco to sign my contract. The coaches call me, say, Hey, take a trip to Oakland. I was like, Oakland is sorry. I'm not going there. But Willie calls me and says, Hey, just come up and take a, take a visit. See, see what's going on. I fly up to Oakland just, just for him, just for Willie. I'm in the hallway talking to this young blonde guy. And we're talking about Philly and and whatever, and we're having a good conversation. So I go in, I talk to Mr. Al Davis. I sit down. He's like, hey, we want you here. It could be good. You know, you know, Willie Brown, you know, all these guys. I'm like, great. I talk to Willie and Willie takes me into the head coach's office. Well, that guy I was talking to at the beginning, who I thought was like 24, it was John Group. Hmm. So John was like, what are you doing? But <laughs> he's like, what do you want him to do? And I just had a great time there, you know, talk, the Raiders were one of my teams growing up. And so I fly back home. I talked to my wife and I was like, you know what? I think, I think this might be a spot. So I end up, you know, going, going to Oakland. And uh, I really had a great end of my four years uh, playing. And I had a lot of respect for John. I know John, he's a workaholic in early uh, and, and out late. But I'm not sure if he's the guy for the job right now for the Raiders. I think, and I love John, and I have so much respect for, for Mark, but I think John has to go somewhere else. I think this situation has to have a little bit of, if Antonio's not going to be the guy, a little bit of what Antonio brings. He brings that uh, player involvement. 
he brings that. So whoever has to take over this job has to be creative offensively because going against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes is a task into itself. So that person's going to have to have a great game plan against the Chiefs, along with trying to build this offense to be able to be versatile, but still a run, powerful kind of kind of offense. So again, I love John, but I just think if it's John's time, and hopefully it will be, it will be with a different football team. Eric, I think you're right. I think it's going to take a certain coach for that team and a certain coach in that division for the reasons you point out. Eric, give me with this thought. Yeah. Like, you were the pro's pro. I can't let you go without following up on that one thing. Why were the Saints such a joke? Why was that such a bad experience? Uh, I, I tell you, at, at that time, they were in transition. Uh, Jim Mora was just this really, really good defensive coach. And he just couldn't get that team over the hump in those the Dome Patrol days when Swilling and all those guys were there. So they were trying to transfer that team from a defensive perspective and have more offensive firepower. So it didn't really work. He resigns like in the middle of the year. They end up bringing in Mike Dicka. And Mike Dicka, Hall of Fame um, player, great tight end, great coach for the Bears. But he didn't have that offensive-minded presence about him. He was a go-go-go guy. He was going to really get this team energized and passionate. But that's not what that team needed at the time. That team, again, was facing the 49ers. <laughs> you know, they were facing teams with uh, multiple offensive sets. So the Saints just didn't have the proper person in place to be able to help that team get over the hump. And when the team was losing, there's a lot of finger pointing at that time. And it just didn't seem like I was a type in my point in my career where I didn't want to go through a rebuild. I, it, I wanted to play in meaningful games at the end of my career to hopefully get to the playoffs where I could help my team win a championship. The Saints were nowhere close to that. They were, you know, trading away every player for a running back. And it's just a mess there because Mike Dicka, who was just great, great player, just had overall effect on that football team. And they just didn't have a clear path and definitely didn't line up with the path I was on, Jim. So I wanted to get out there and being meaningful games at the end of my career. Well, I remember it. I remember it clearly. I remember him on the cover of SI. <laughs> I remember him talking about cleaning up the city of New Orleans. I remember Ricky coming in. I, I remember all of that. No, I get you. I see you working. Eric, here's the thing. You and I have done this for so many years. I so appreciate the friendship, the relationship. This is one of my favorite conversations ever. And I know, I know that when you finally do get that gold jacket, you and I as a couple of old heads can talk about yes. what it represents to you. And you're in the middle of the process so i know you will get yours because you earned it listen dude i appreciate you so much great to have you on and thanks for going long form and stretching out and have that conversation that was absolutely awesome awesome jim man really respect uh respect you man and i appreciate what you've done uh in your field man you're killing it you've always been killing and i'm so happy to hear and hear that you are back here in san diego on uh on radio station Come on now, what a dude. How many guys show up like that? But then again, I'm not at all surprised. 
Never surprised to enjoy a conversation with EA because I always enjoy a conversation with EA. So my thanks to Eric for carving out an extended chunk for the original side hustle and showing up like he always does. You see, that's exactly the kind of conversation that still fires me up for this podcast. This is why I do it. Even after 292 episodes, we're still going strong here. We are still pumping out eps like that every single week. So take a second and subscribe if you haven't already. That way you will never miss another episode. All you have to do is find and smash the subscribe button and you will be the very first to know the second we drop a new episode such as episode 293, which will drop next week. So once again, please consider subscribing, and I will catch you next week. See you then. We're out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.